spoken me. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was a usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones, and many, many other places. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free streaming there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it would be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Spoken Hi, guys. It's Andy Erlingen, live from Spoken Label. Bit of an unusual setting tonight, or session, because... Obviously, everybody knows my partner, Amanda. Amanda does a lot of like, editing and writing bits and pieces. And the gentleman I've got on the other side of Facebook tonight has actually come from some editing Amanda's done. He's this gentleman's forthcoming second novel recently. And it's, as I say, it's a fascinating book he does. And I'm going to let the gentleman introduce himself straight away in a minute. And he'll tell us all about where everything came from. And we'll talk about his book then, because he's, he's clearly got a lot on the go here. It's not like he's a busier man than I am. And that says a lot, really. So, over to you, Pete. You want to introduce yourself to everybody, tell them who you are, and where this everything came from originally. Oh, how's it going? Well, hiya. I'm uh, Pete K. Marley. And just say thank you very much for having me on. It's been, it's fantastic. And... Pretty much, I'm a stand-up comic who loves his rock music. I've always been into the music. I always love it. And I, one of my tours, I decided on doing it on sort of my love of rock music. So, and, and kind of defending my love of music, you know. Kind oh, of, yeah, yeah. I think, all, you know, I think I kind of, I think I went through, like a lot of people, went through school, kind of asking out girls and them saying no because I've got an anthrax t-shirt or a mullet or something like that. And then, 20 years later, you're walking down the street and you're seeing these same women. Now we've got daughters who are wearing motorhead t-shirts that they got in Primark. And you're like, hold on, I worked for that. You know, I, <laughs> I earned these stripes. Yeah. So it, I did a tour tour for those about to laugh uh, on, on, that was a tour I did. And it, it then developed into me doing the stand-up tour into supporting the Wayward Sons, which is, it's Toby Jefferson, who was in the Little Angels, it's his, well, not yeah, yeah. anymore, but it was his new yeah, band. Well, one of my, so, one of my sister's just, favourite bands they were in the 80s, Little Angels. Yeah, and that was, I mean, I'm a massive Little Angels fan, so that was bizarre. And my stand-up set's kind of about that, and it was just about, so I, I sort of supported them, and in doing so, then, I do still do my comedy, I still do my touring, but I also do loads of compare, especially for gigs or record launches or festivals, and it, I've kind of combined the two loves, which is comedy and music. Right. So obviously, where, where did the comedy originally come from then? Because obviously music, you can tell that like, it's come from a teenager like I was, who I listened to music-wise. Yeah. Well, do you know what? About 10 years ago, maybe a wee bit more, maybe it was like 10 or 11 years ago, I was uh, I was just at home and I was, I'm a teacher, sort of, and 
I think you need to get some of that kind of out there. And I thought, do you know what? I've always wanted to try stand-up comedy. I was kind of, I got well with it at school. Uh, so I've, I remember I remember it really well. It was a Cavendish in London. I thought I'd go to the open mic night and try it out. And I loved it. I, it was five minutes and I loved it. And like a lot of comics, a lot of comics will tell you this, the first gig to do is amazing. You go off stage, you think you're the funniest man on earth. You think this is easy. You know, two weeks later, you go back again, you completely bomb. Yeah. It, it, it was a thing, like, it was a bit of an outlet. It was, I enjoyed kind of writing. So I've been doing that, and I did that for maybe sort of ran a, ran a night in Croydon, ran a night in Streatham, ran a night in Tooting, and I probably did two or three gigs a week, just five, ten minute sets. And I got to a point after a couple of years, you're thinking, I just don't want to go to a place and do the same five minutes. I actually want to do an hour performance because it's, it's got more substance to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, completely. It's natural progression, really. Like I said, and it's sort of art medium. And you start off and you build yourself up, and one thing or these another, as I always say. Mm. So it's certainly so. Oh, brilliant, so. And that's where you, you, just, you just expanded it gradually and you commented in, really, haven't you? So, yeah, completely. Yeah, and I had a story to tell, you know, and I think when you've got a story to tell, you can't. It's a funny one, isn't it? You do like stand up, you do it in five minutes, but you've got to make someone laugh within three seconds. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got an hour, you've got your story to tell. And that's, it's, to me, it's more about the story than the comedy. It's more about the telling of it. In, I, I do love stand up comedy, but I'm not a gag person. I'm more, I like, like Billy Conley and people like that. I love the stories, you know, and I think that's why, you know, I think with portraits, you know, and movies and, and get a good book or get anything, you just, I, I like the story. And that's not I like music, you know, I like the story of an album. Yeah, yeah. No, I get you completely. No, I agree with you completely. Because like I said, it's just everything. You, it's the story itself. But I get you completely with that. So what's the furthest you've actually yeah. done your comedy on so far then? Have you really been up and down the country? Have you really done this, have you done? Yeah, I mean, I was based in London. Not anymore. Now I've moved to Stoke. But I'm based in London. But my tour took me... I mean, the first tour I did, which was... Uh, the first tour I did actually was all about teaching. And it was called 20 Years of Teaching, One Angry Rant. Oh, and yeah. I did about... <laughs> Uh, I had 14, 15 gigs around the country, and that was scary. I'd never just done a little tour before, but it was amazing. Did two or three gigs in Scotland. Did I mean all all around, and it was so nice. It was the first time. It was the first time I've been going to a, like a band, I suppose, going to a city, doing doing the gig, going back to a hotel room. You know, it was so that was exciting. So the new one I've got coming up. So I've not toured for a while. To be honest, I've been doing the festivals, but I've got a new one called Self Help and Sporadic Hairs, which <clears> is about me growing up. And again, it's about the music, it, it, it follows the music a lot. And with this one, I'm going kind for the first leg, I'm kind of going around the country. I'm going like to Chester, Brighton, Deal, Stoke, uh, Canic, and I've got a few odd ones, ones in Burton, so, and I've got a few festivals as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's less around the country this time, but it's still. I'm still getting around a bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. And also, like, did Whitman in your second, like, touring show. How did the preparing material vary from the first show to the second one? Oh, it was great. The first one, it, the first one was great. It was all about teaching. And because of that, it was full of teachers, of people who lived with teachers. And I wasn't just supporting teaching. You know, I was kind of saying the message behind it. Again, it was a story about teaching and how... I absolutely despise my days, but it was kind of about, and it's, I mean, it's all about kids as well, and, and how everybody under the age of 18 is, is horrible, and mm. everyone could relate to it because it was kind of that. So I was a real surprise getting people in the audience who didn't know, I didn't know were coming, 
were relating to it. The next show, the music one was harder because I was trying to get into the rock circuit world, which I'm, I'm in now. But it's still difficult because people into that scene don't particularly like comedy. So I was desperately trying. So the last two I did was not so much comedy fans, it was music fans, which I liked. But it was, it's, it's different getting, getting the people in. So even now I'm kind of plugging my, my gate to people in bands and friends of bands. And they're not really stand-up comedy. So I'm just trying to mix the two. And I think like in the old days, all these things were mixed. There was like poetry, there was like storytelling, there was, there was music. And now we've segregated it and I just feel we should bring it, like an old variety show, we should bring up, not a rubbish one, but I mean, we should all bring it back and just, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, it's performance. And I think that's that's the important thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it completely. Now, I know obviously at the moment, obviously, apart from obviously doing these, like you said this, you've also got your own radio show at the moment, haven't you? On MMF. The home of rock radio. How, yeah, how did on, this come about? Yeah. That's cool. So what happened is MMH is a, is a radio station. What's called Midlands Metalheads Radio, but now it's MMH, the home of rock radio. And it's 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 great because <clears> I kind of, because I love music and I'm doing that and I was kind of comparing, I just, I thought to myself, well, because I've kind of been the known in the scene, wouldn't it be nice to listen to the music anyway? And I love having new and new bands. So... I went to the station and they gave me a, they gave me it's a great spot. It's a Saturday morning, just ten to midday. It's <clears> amazing, so I can kind of play what I want and have a little natter. And it's I always find it so bizarre, like gigs and stuff, when people get in touch with you who you don't know in different countries. I'm like, yeah, I listen to your show every week. So I've got that as well. So it all links in very much because of the music scene and you know how hard is it to sit on a chair and, and play your favourite your favourite songs and have a chat in between, you know, it's great. So I'm dead lucky with that as well. Yeah, completely. No, it's brilliant nice that it's because um Amanda's obviously one of her best friends, Ruth, is um does a runs a radio program so we were on there a few weeks ago. And it's, I've done been a few radio stations, it's great. Oh. I love sitting in the radio station and see the equipment they've got all over the studios and stuff like that. So how big how big a studio have you got then when you're when you're on Saturday morning? It's, it's tiny to be honest. I did it, so when I did it, I, I kind of, there was, a, there was a station in London I used to pop into and do do bits and pieces, there was a proper massive studio, and I loved that, I was like, I felt like, do you know like the old, when you're young and you, you're seeing all the, you know, like the radio, you've got the boom and all that, but this one here literally is a computer and a mic, uh, oh. and it's all, like, nowadays the technology is just overtaking it, which is brilliant, but there's a part of me that still likes that old, I, I want to see a big massive machine, with, yeah, a, yeah. with a sign saying on air. Yeah, you know, I've, seen, I've, been, and, I've been to them and, before, and yeah. I've that a bit. Mm. Yeah, I haven't got that at the minute. I've just got, like, it's a little station. It's quite, it's big enough, but it's a little station, but it's not like a proper, I, I just want a proper on-air <laughs> and have, have somebody come and give me coffees and stuff. Like a station, <laughs> you know? Yeah, completely. Do you find you have to plan your radio programs quite quite detailed every week, what you're playing and stuff like that? No, I think anybody who listens to it will realise I don't. What I do is I plan songs. I've got the songs two weeks before so yeah. I know what I'm playing because I want that to work and I want the songs to go well together. And I also want to give, I have a mix between sort of, I say classic music, like older older music and, and newer music, newer bands. And I think for me it's important, although a lot of people would love to say just play loads of new bands and get them out there. I think people like to hear what they know. So I mix up a bit. So I know what I'm playing within two weeks and then it just kind of, 
you know, it's like you put the adverts in and you put the things in and then you've not got that long to speak. So we just kind of ramble about what's going to happen in the week and where I'm going or what's going on or what bands. If a band, say if I'm playing, I don't know, Revival Black, I'll make sure. And if they're playing that weekend, I'll just mention where they're playing. So no, it's not it's not hard work. I would love to say it's hard work, but <laughs> it, it really isn't at all. Anybody, anybody could do it. Anybody could do what I do. Generally, everything I do in life, anybody could do. You know, I like it. And that's, that's, the, that's the rule. I've just got probably more time than everyone else. I don't know what it is. But, <laughs> no, yeah. I get, get you completely there with that one. So now, obviously, um, what we're here to talk about really today is also apart from all this gigging and stuff, and you and you know, you're comparing us. I know you you bought a book out, didn't you, already? Caught and and you've yeah. got another book out as well in the way as well, haven't you? So, so do you want to tell people obviously first of all about the your first book that's it's already in print at the moment? Then we'll talk about your upcoming yeah, book shortly. Yeah, of course, it was Resurrection Mill, and it was so I wrote this book maybe four years ago, maybe three or four years ago, and it was it, it's kind of set about grave digging in Scotland, and although I'm <laughs> Scottish. I have nothing to do, I have no knowledge about this grave digging. I've got really no, had no interest in it. And I just picked up this new, newspaper article, and it, or a magazine, and it was just reading that. I don't know, I was waiting for a bus or something. And I read a true story about in Dundee, the grave digging was so bad, the body snatching was so bad, that a man, the, the son who was 12, died, and he had to kind of wrap around gunpowder around the son's body to make sure he didn't get dug up. And that night when he went to sleep, he heard the explosion to somebody who's digging up his son. And I just thought, that's a story to be told. And I know yeah. Brock and Hare, it, people know about him, but I thought, so I did my research and I thought, I'm from Dundee. And I didn't know, not only was the body snatching that bad, but the police force was built because of the body snatching. Oh, so right. I'm thinking, this is like, that's, wow. that, this is a big bit of history no one's noticed. Or, or no one's kind of, so I just, I, I wrote a story about around it and I kind of based it on a, a fictional character called Geordie Mill, who was a real person, but no one really knew what, the, 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 you know, was he a body snatcher, what wasn't he? So I built this kind of really dark comedy about the body snatcher in Dundee. Yeah, and it's so nice because I read I, I did it, and I sent it off, and then people who always read it go, oh, my God, I, I thought it was going to be rubbish, but it's all right. And <laughs> it's, it's quite historically, I mean, I, I reread it last year, and I was quite surprised myself. I'm like, oh, God, it's all right. So, yeah, that was it. And that, it, it was just odd, and I sent it to sort of a group in Dundee who do kind of ghost tours and stuff. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we, we know all about this. This is, I'm really glad you wrote about it because people don't know about it. So I did that, yeah, and I thought, I'm never going to write a book again. If I ever, you know, it's always so time consuming. But I did. <laughs> like, so. yeah. But yeah, and this obviously, yeah, it sounds fascinating that first book. So the, the second book, obviously, like the one that Amanda's been helping you out with called The Call. Yeah. Now, obviously, you've done. Yeah. Now, was it an accidental book or did you have this plan a bit more straightforward than your previous book? It was completely accidental. I was sitting around and I kept on thinking, well, what happened was, so when I toured with the Whitwood Sons, they said, why don't you sell your book on the merch stand? <clears> and I'm like, well, nobody buys a book at a lock gig, although they did, so it was great. So <laughs> then I just, obviously, I thought, well, I've written it, I may as well try to make a 50p here or there. So I kind of brought my books to the gigs I just thought to myself, well, I don't know what it, what, what it was. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if that a book was about the gig? Was it, it was relative to the gig. Because right now I'm trying to flog a book that's got no relevance to the gig. <laughs> yeah, like grave, digger, grave diggers, yeah. It's so a slight it's, different I, genre, I yeah. 
<laughs> like it's really it's like a shoulder and comes thinking I flung a dead horse here and I feel a little bit silly but after a while I sell it you don't care yeah. and then I thought well wouldn't it be cool and then I was I was I wouldn't say who but I was I'm working I was working with a band I was compared with a band and I just I just kind of think with them I thought this is you guys uh, this isn't I always I, my opinion of, of rock bands is what, what you do on stage you can be as rock and roll as you want and that's brilliant. And we all love a rock band. Absolutely. It's theatre to me. That's what I like about it. But when you get off stage, just be normal. You know, you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, just be normal. And there's a few people who have met, and over the over the last maybe six months particularly, there's a few bands that have kind of riled me a little bit and thought, hold on here. And I thought, I need an outlet. I can't be, I can't be slagging them off online. I wouldn't do that anyway, but I thought, I need an outlet. And I thought, hold on, I can put two and two together here and, and want my book. So that's that's why. So it's based, there's loads of bands in it who are, are real bands who I love, uh, but the, the, the main band in it are kind of just based on a number of people. Yeah, of course. You're not, we're not naming names, of course, right? Well, no, yeah. no. And they're not, they're not any particular people. They're kind of... See, so the main guitarist, the main, the main uh, protagonist is probably four or five people rolled into one. And then, of course, as you as you edit it and as you rewrite it, it kind of changes, and as your as your thoughts change, the character kind of kind of develops a character of their own. Yeah, yeah. Now I get it completely wrong. That sounds, sounds fascinating. Now, obviously, you, you said off mic before this was a much quicker book to write in your first book, wasn't it? So. Yeah, I think it's because the other one was really good and this was rubbish. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if I don't look at nothing in the background, Amanda's Amanda's sat in the background there too. <laughs> Amanda's here in the background. She just yeah, I was wondering. You had the second laugh then. <laughs> it was just kind of. As Amanda could tell when I sent it to her, it was, it was quite obvious. I was typing it really quickly, <clears> and I had these ideas in my head, and I thought, I've got a little. It's probably I've been busy, but I've been a bit quieter, and I needed to kind of rush it out. So what? I had these ideas in my head. I thought I'm determined to get it out, and then of course I thought, well. I want to set it at a festival, but I need to get it out quite quickly before the festival season. And I thought I want to get this book out. It's, it's in my, you know, what? I'm, I'm really impatient. I and mean, when something's in my head, I need to do it. I'm really, I'm really bad. No, best, best way to be, mate. Best way to be. Definitely. Yeah, so. I don't know. So that's it. So, yeah, it was quicker because I had a lot of ideas and it was shorter and it was less. To be honest with you, there's no, there's no research to be done because I kind of knew... There's loads of bands in it, loads of festivals in it. It's about this new, I hate to use the word new wave of classic rock, but it's about this kind of, this the rock resurgence. So I didn't have to do any research. Well, my last book, I had to kind of go, is that correct? And, and I do loads of research, which was really interesting, but really time consuming. Yeah, of course, this one, you're obviously straight from the heart. So as I kid, they always say with writing, yeah, and, you know, and that's same with comedy really, is you, you talk what you know about. And then, as you go and research well, that's it, thing, that's it? What you, yeah. you definitely wrote what you know there, so that's probably why it's been quite a reason. Yeah, when you're writing about five middle-aged people on a stage playing rock music, you kind of know about it, yeah. Yeah, you, you when, know, you know all yeah. the stories and yeah, and the polit- politics and the bands. Yeah, you know, perfect, definitely. So yeah. Now, obviously, I know you've got quite a bit of gigs coming up here. To be honest, yeah. That's why. And would it be easier, Pete, if we instead of getting you to tell us what dates you've got coming up, we refer people to your website because. I can see gigs here listing right up to the end of October here at the moment alone, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. I'm on a December, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got... I'll, my website is www.petekmarleyco.uk. Uh, 
I've got about five or six of my stand updates, and the rest of the stuff is just comparing. But the comparing is quite nice because I get to do it. depends on the gig. Sometimes I get to do the best stand-up as well. So that was quite nice, you know. But, yeah, the website's probably the best thing because I've got, like, an endless amount of dates. which oh, scares yeah. me a little bit. I oh, think yeah. I'm dead by the time we finish. <laughs> well, I'm actually very quickly contract, so I'm all right. <laughs> well, I'm actually very quickly before we go on to part two anyway is obviously you've been yeah. in quite a few festivals. Uh, what's been yeah. your favourite festival you've done so far? And then you can tell us about the worst one, and you don't obviously don't name the worst one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, do you know what? They're all different, and I'm not being because I don't really care what I say. But Call of the Wild is so. I've been loads of festivals, and it's the same kind of people who run them. The the Call of the Wild one, which is at the book app, I like because I was comparing it. It was a new festival. The, the people who'd organised it had done everything right. And things are going to go wrong, and things do go wrong. But in this festival, everything was done right. It was so nice to see, and I felt really comfortable. And if, do you know what? I think I get to a stage now that if somebody messes up, I don't care. If you've got a smile on your face, I'm happy. And it, the bands, I knew a lot of the bands, and I was really excited to do it. And that's, that's called the wild. But then the, the rise at Rambling Man, which you do, which I love, and that's the biggest festival <coughs> I do. But I do the smaller stage. But that one is exciting because I don't really get faced with with, with heroes or people in bands. But at, on Random Man, I get to go backstage and do the backstage stuff. And I'm meeting my heroes. I mean, last year I was meeting Chris Robinson. But I was doing a wee in oh, the wow. Rhino. And next to me was Chris Robinson oh, from Black Crows. He's like, you're right, Pete. Fantastic. I'm like, God damn, it's Chris Robinson. <laughs> like, you know, and Foreigner. And you get to meet these guys backstage. And this is... I'm like, this is incredible. So next year with Leonard Skinner, and just having to be backstage with Leonard Skinner, for me, is amazing. Oh, yeah, completely. So, fair play, man. Definitely you know, that I, one. So. I'm just I'd... like a little boy. But if all the other festivals are kind of the same bands, because they've all got slightly different vibes. And they just do, you know, dates, for example, there's a, a great woman in Wales who does this great festival for charity called Glass and Selfie. And that was very different because it wasn't just rock music. But she asked me to do that, and that was amazing because it was just like it was like it, the Welsh choir, and it was just so. I think the, the good thing with festivals is they're all different, and they've all got that kind of that everyone's there for the reason, everyone's there to have a good time. And I always think it's kind of like you know when you go on holiday and you you go to the airport and you just get drunk and you don't count it as getting drunk because you're in the airport. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. That's like a festival to me. The minute you get through the gates, it's a different time zone. And oh, yeah. It's a different world. Fantastic. I agree with you completely, Pete. So, and um, has there been any festivals that, obviously, we don't want to name names, when, when something's yeah, yeah, gone wrong on it? <laughs> or or something that always, story always sticks in your head, something like quite comical? Yeah, no, there's not. There's been the, the, the majority are, are amazing. You're going to get a few ones, a few, a few annoying, annoying ones, like, the few ones for charity that I've done a couple of times and I've, I've spent loads of my money to get to and I've done it and I've been offered expenses and I'm quite naive. So when people offer you expenses, I'm like, well, no, because it's for charity. It's, t- it's getting taken out of charity. And then you kind of see what some of the bands are getting paid and then, you know, you don't get invited back or whatever you, you, you do, but they're like, oh, you're going to have to, I know you want expenses this time. And there's a few of these things, but generally, and I'm in a position now that I just do the ones that I want, which is great. You know, oh yeah, completely. Uh, completely. No, there's one in, up in Scotland which is great called Winterstorm, but I always go up to it and I always do the second stage and I absolutely love it. And I wear my kilt and a t-shirt, <laughs> but nobody in uh, the west coast of Scotland believes I'm Scottish. 
And I'm like, I'm <laughs> but nobody will believe me. This is like a running joke. Like, oh, God. So, but it's great. So, you know, most of them are just fantastic. And I'm at that age now that if I don't like it, I just, I'll never go back. You know, I'll just, yeah. I'll just say thank you, bye. And so it's quite, it's quite nice because I'm not going to make any much money from it. So it's quite nice being in that position. Yeah, no, it's labour, labour, love basis, boy. I get it completely. That thing. It really is. And it's it's yeah, not perfect. like, you know, when you see, like, I'm a big festival goer. I, I went and downloaded last year and it was getting, even, I'm, I'm, I've been like done it since 1991. And even now I'm like, this last year was the first year I thought, I can't afford it, it's too big. In Guns N' Roses, who I love, it was just like watching Keith Lemon on that stage, bouncing around. And it was just like, oh, do you know what? I, I don't think I want to spend three hundred pounds year next year. Not, it's an amazing festival, but it just even I just thought it's just too big and there's too, yeah. too much going on. I think you, know, you do. I think you do. When you get to that amount of money like that, it's you talk about quite serious money, aren't you, to go to go to a festival? Yeah, and it's when you're watching like Marlon Manson wobble on the stage and it's just rubbish, and you're thinking, I need to queue up half an hour for a beer and it costs six quid. Yeah, I just. And, you know, I got to a stage now, I'm like, and that's what I like about the festivals I'm doing. It's the same faces. It's kind of like a big family. You, you know, you just know it. You need the stall holders, you get to know really well, and that's quite nice. It's just nice to... It's like when I was a wee kid, I used to go pick one crazy. I don't know what it was. It was weird. And I used to go to my family, and we used to have the same families go every year, and the Bernardo kids, and you got to know everyone. And I think that's like festivals. You see the same faces, and I think that's very good. Yeah, completely. Right, Pete, I'm going to ask all my questions now. So, brilliant. I've really enjoyed today. Thank you for this. Now, I know you're going to read out a bit from your book for us. No, really. So, everybody, hang around, because I'm dying to hear what Pete's going to read out for us next. So, so, thank you again, Pete, and we'll see you all in a minute. Spoken. Oh, Hi, guys. Yeah, we're still here. Now, straight over to Pete, because he's going to read an extract out for us from one of his books. Over to you, Pete, my friend. Great, thank you very much. This is from The Call, the new one. And uh, just quickly, a quick extract. And this is just about where the band in question, Raven Black Whiskey Stone, are, are doing the biggest gig of their life at the Call of the Wild Festival. So I've sort of set the scene there. And I'm going to start reading, if that's okay with you. Go for it, mate. Good stuff. I feel like I'm in Jack and Ori. Right. <laughs> uh, where am I? Uh, I just realised I need to put my reading glasses on. I'm at that age now. I need to find my reading glasses. Here they are. Okay, they are on. It's embarrassing. Okay. He, obs- <laughs> he observed the crowd again, attempting to divert his eyes from Jim and Linda. He saw Dave O'Hara, Raz White and Lee, the organisers behind the whole organisation. Next to them were rock stars, such as J.G. Watt, Nicky Smash, Joe Constable and Bendy Knopfler from the Rocket Dolls. He glimpsed the charismatic Tony Gale in the audience, lead singer from Shine, the members of Warrior Soul and Kicking Valentina. He spotted the members of Revival Black watching the stage and the four women of Joan of Arc. He saw the members of Massive Wagon standing together, Baz, Adam, Stevie, Bowers and Alex, tonight's headliners, watching him in his opening band. He knew after this performance he would be there in two or three years' time watching the opening band of the festival. He looked out at the audience, still streaming in, Many now in, but many others still making that walk from their tent to the main arena. He was aware of the sudden movement below him, in the pit, where three or four photographers came in and pointed their cameras up towards the stage. He was aware of the security guard standing out, watching the pit and adjusting his earpiece. He was also aware of the noise of the smoke machine during its business. Dom scrutinised his world as if it was in slow motion. He heard the voice coming from the monitor saying, Well, ready when you are. You watch the sound engineer, click on some buttons and slide some dials. 
you watch the sun beat down on the field below. Hundreds of rock fans are waiting the opening act of Call of the Wild 2020 Festival. Don't watch the compare to centre stage. I moved the microphone closer to his mouth. Call of the Wild, he screamed as the audience raised their hands and cheered back. Are you ready for the first band to this amazing festival? It is my pleasure to introduce to you the opening band of the festival, the fantastic, the incredible, the superb, Raven Black Whiskey Stone. And with that, the audience cheered, the compere left the stage, and Clayton came to them in. It was time to shine. Fantastic. That's a, that's a great extract, that, Pete. I think it gives, it's does, a does, Yeah, it's perfect, mate. Yeah, I think it does give a really good, good feel for the book there, straight away, so... I could understand. That's why I could wish, I wish you all the best, definitely. So keep me informed if you're oh, playing Manchester. You, and if me and if we if me and the boss can, we could definitely come and watch you. So be a pleasure, definitely with that one. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, have a look at the obviously as well with the tour dates. Obviously, if you're around any of these gigs, and especially the, the actually stand up tour, let us know and bring as many friends as you want. And obviously, don't pay. Just come along and let me know who's coming in. Whatever you get in it, but I know I'll buy you a drink and I'll be a nice night. My support act's a magician, psychic, rock DJ. So that'll be interesting. Oh, yeah, that's, that's completely different, mate, for that one straight away. So I think uh, I'm always yeah, a firm believer when you're doing this sort of thing. Doing stuff, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm always a firm believer when you do stuff like go and tour, is have something completely different alongside you. So I think be a, that's a fantastic that's idea. It. So. Well, well, I've got him, and I'm a London Jake. I've got uh, Woody Guthrie. Uh, tribute act who are doing punk versions of Billy Guthrie and I've got Shine Sleeve Band so it's just something like I said as a comedian a magician and two rock bands it's kind of you know it's kind of like Britain's Got a Talent without that kind of annoying Simon Cowell you know it's quite it's it's and it's like tickets for fiver so I think it's quite a nice night oh yeah yeah I don't, I don't doubt it it does, it does sound to you an excellent yeah. night so well thank you for today Pete anyway and no, thank you. That's been great. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Hang around. I need to quit your mic. But it's Andy N. signing out tonight. Thank you again, Pete. Spoken Label. Thanks again for listening to another session of Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label. That's one word. Spoken Label. Full stop. Bandcamp. Dot com and there is over 150 sessions there so i'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well take care bye bye spoken later.